0: Page Fright is recorded in Vancouver on the traditional territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh First Nations. Thank you to our hosts. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another installment of Page Fright. My name is Andrew French. I am on Twitter at TheAndrewFrench, and this is the only literary podcast on the entire internet that I host. It's good to be back for another episode. Actually, a really nice response to the last episode with Aslyn Hunter. I really enjoyed her reading and a couple people reaching out saying that they really liked her work. So Aslyn, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, and everybody else, thanks so much for sending those kind messages. Today is a very exciting episode for me because it's the first remote recording of Page Fright, meaning that I'm not in the same small room at the Vancouver Public Library with this author today. And today's author, who might it be? Well you clicked on the episode, you know the name, it's Cassidy McFadzin, who was born in Regina, graduated from the Iowa Writers' Workshop, and currently lives in Toronto. If you don't know much about Cassidy's work, she's the author of Hacker Packer, which was out with McClelland and Stewart in 2015, and it of course won two Saskatchewan Book Awards and was a finalist for the Gerald Lampert Memorial Award. and Wow, okay, so her poems have appeared in Boat, B-O-A-A-T, which is how it's spelled, Event, The Fiddlehead, Prism International, and The Best Canadian Poetry 2016, and have been shortlisted for the CBC Poetry Prize and the Walrus Poetry Prize. Her second book is Drawleries, which is also with McClelland and Stewart, I'm not going to hold your back. This is a cool interview. I really enjoyed talking to Cassidy. Uh, We talked about some cool stuff and it was a lot of fun. Um, The audio is a little bit interesting because it was over Skype. So, um, you know, bear with me on that. But it was fun. You can make out what we're saying. So I hope that you have a good time listening to this episode. And without further ado, why don't we jump right in. Here's me chatting with Cassidy (laughs) McFadden. So I guess the first question, Cassidy, is the same that I've asked a lot of people. For those who are unfamiliar with your work, how would you describe your writing?
1: Uh, I think my writing is fairly formal and traditional in sense of making use of musicality and rhyme. It can be pretty Baroque, but um, recent poems I've gleaned from like personal experiences, so it's a little more confessional maybe.
0: Interesting. And do you find that that's different at all now, like that writing from your last book, *Drolleries*?
1: Um, I think *Drolleries* is, is is pretty confessional, or at least taking um parts of my life to somehow create a poem. I guess in *Hacker Packer*, I was a bit my my first collection of poems. I was a bit more afraid to kind of go into personal experiences, so I was doing a lot of poems about art galleries and museums and historical events, which can be personal, but um, I think a lot of it was a little more removed, maybe.
0: So was there maybe a little bit of a difficult relationship with poetry in terms of, uh, I guess, like the vulnerability side of things? Was it difficult for you to put everything out on the page and into the world?
1: I think I was afraid of not being taken seriously which is kind of a horrible thing to say, but um, it's amazing the ways you can internalize misogyny. And I think a lot of like women in particular, like Sylvia Plath, who I love as a poet, um, women that write from personal experience can kind of be cast aside as simply navel gazing or or that sort of thing. So I was very much aware of that early on, resisted against that, and then realized that I was being ridiculous and kind of embraced the personal and everything that it can offer in terms of symbolism and musicality and all sorts of things.
0: Yeah, I can totally see what you mean. I think there's sort of a current there of vulnerability and and real confessional writing throughout drawleries. And that's something that takes a long time for a lot of people to develop. So what kind of... I suppose what kind of advice would you give to people who are just starting out as writers in terms of being vulnerable with their writing?
1: I think um, the thing that really opened it up for me was reading as widely as possible and seeing that a lot of contemporary poetry is extremely personal so I think that's what maybe gave me permission. The more I read the more I realized you know the huge degree of different kinds of poems out there so it really gave me the permission I think to go into the personal in terms of being vulnerable though I would um, caution maybe I don't know creative writing instructors are always like go to the hard place write the thing you fear the most but that can also maybe be a bit scary if you don't have access to like a good therapist or support system so I would also suggest you don't traumatize yourself just for the sake of a poem.
0: Yeah, I think that's very good advice because a lot of people, I don't know, I just, I feel like there's a lot of pressure to be very vulnerable vulnerable in your writing. And for me, it's something that does help with the way that I write. But I do believe that there are people who, you know, have such traumatic experiences that they try to write through that it can be triggering, just as you've suggested. And it's, it's maybe not the most healthy of things. And I don't know, is that something that, you get past as you continue to write does it get easier to to decide you know this is something that i do need to write through this is something that i shouldn't touch with my writing are there experiences like that
1: yeah i think um i'm able to write even more creatively or more um i can even go like deeper into the poem when i'm more stable in my life so when i am like not in a good place i'm not writing great poems anyway kind of thing
0: Relatable. That's so relatable. Yeah, I totally feel <laughs> the same way. Um, for people who are unfamiliar with your work, you've described it a little bit, but I was wondering if it would be possible to get you to read something from Drollery's for us.
1: Sure. Um, oh, all right, so a poem from Drolleries. I do have it on hand here. I'm just flipping through. Um... I like to read this poem called Mercury, so maybe if that's okay, I'll read that one.
0: That'd be awesome.
1: Okay. Mercury. I saw a stream of silver leave your mouth, he said, teasing the wisp of Mercury, a lizard's tail out of me. When Hermes hung retrograde, we wandered aisles carrying mandrake, nightshade, canned half moon hearts of palm. It was the eve of another news anchor's son's fentanyl death, climbing a mountain with no peak, we wanted to numb ourselves for the fun of it, little dogs gnawing at scraps of meat. Was that when you entered? Turning away invites you in, your hand between my thighs feeling for an opening.
0: Wow, thank you so much for reading that. Uh, this is one of the ones that I look at my book right now and I've got underlines all over it. It was uh, a really fun poem. Well, not fun, but it's, yeah, it's fun. But I I feel like uh, it touches on a lot of things that I was really interested in and the way that you wrote it uh, really spoke to me. Um, where did this poem come from for you?
1: Um, I think I began this piece during my mfa when i was really getting into tarot shopping a lot like late at night in these huge grocery stores um and i'm and during the fentanyl crisis obviously um so i kind of put put all those things together
0: i just had a tarot reading done on sunday there was like a a booth thing that I walked by and it was by donation. And it was very cool. I have wanted to be into tarot for a long time. And it's kind of interested me from a distance. And so I was fascinated by this poem rereading it just now. But I I think also it's funny because I just had that reading done that this comes up uh, now for me as well on a personal level.
1: Yeah, Yeah. it can be scary as well. Sometimes you see more than you reckon for.
0: It was genuinely terrifying. Like I'd had one done probably about a year ago and then I did this one this past week and it was just like there were so many negative things and stuff that I am dealing with that I don't know uh yeah I don't know it's an ongoing process well, I
1: hope you can recover from it or maybe there's some positives hidden that you haven't thought about yet
0: yeah I am they are always multifaceted so I guess that does make sense um I'm just looking at Draweries right now and I've got the book in my hands and I am looking at the epigraph which is from Shakespeare uh Henry the Fourth. Why Henry the Fourth? Why Shakespeare? It seems like an interesting pairing to me.
1: Yeah, Henry the Fourth, part two, not even part one.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I think honestly, the a lot of people ask about the ep- the last podcast that I did, they wanted to also ask about the epigraph. Honestly, it was just to put the word drollery in context, was my first impulse. And at one point I had taken out the epigraph the my editor wanted me to put it back in, he was like, it's perfect, you know, I'm not sure that it really works in the way that an epigraph is supposed to, but I think it also sets the stage maybe thematically, um, I was talking like in terms of tapestries and baroque yes. elements and kind of the um, antiquities that appear in a lot of my poems, so it also I think has that thematic role, but it was mostly, and, and also I guess the sense of the drollery of being like a cartoon or something less significant than like a huge landscape portrait right um I'm kind of self-deprecating a little bit so maybe I consider my poems to be drolleries in in some sense more than the epic work
0: okay but that's kind of the cool thing about the way that your writing works and I didn't really notice it upon a first read or at least it took me a little bit to get into the book and, and and to understand it but I think upon hearing you read a piece now and and hearing you describe your work obviously better than anybody else can, um, I think it's fair to say that there is this kind of, like you said, Baroque classical element to the way that you write that we don't see a lot of people employing anymore. and it's done so well and so subtly that there is still something really interesting about the way that you write. I, I don't know. I just, I think it's really cool that, that this is the way that you're doing things.
1: Yeah. I think I got a lot of that from uh, the poet, Lucy Brock Broido, who recently passed away. I was like obsessed with her during my MFA and um, poets similar to her. So I think that's, in fact, my MFA thesis advisor warned me against reading too much of her, fearing that the influence would, I don't know uh <laughs> affect me in a in really a upsetting way maybe
0: well it sounds like it affected you in a positive way <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah I went, I went deep instead nice. um and I think my yeah my editor also was interested in like the
0: the new uh,
1: the contemporary versus the old so the old and new and kind of that juxt- juxtaposition
0: between them okay it's actually really interesting though because I think a lot of the elements you're working with are coming from a long-standing tradition they're generated uh, historically. And I mean, you look at the cover, there's planets, and we're talking about astrology. And then you see the tarot coming in as well. And these are ideas that have been around for a while that are being made new in the way that you're writing. And I think it's um, super cool, super interesting. I, I don't know.
1: I'm glad you agree.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I definitely do. Um, I want to ask you the question that has been put forth to you from our last episode's guest. So every episode, I'll get you to do the same thing. We have a guest ask a question to the next guest without knowing who the heck they're going to be. So last episode's guest is wondering what bravery means to you.
1: Bravery? I think for me... Pursuing poetry at all is kind of bravery, Um, putting yourself out there, especially when it's maybe more personal work, like a lot of this book deals with my divorce, which is maybe not something you would necessarily want to broadcast, um, (laughs) even though (laughs) we're broadcasting right now. But um, yeah, I think taking the risk at all and maybe not being satisfied with like the first draft either, but really pushing to refine your work and... Even though it's impossible to do something new, to try to push yourself to reach for that impossible um, level. Yeah,
0: definitely. I 100% see that. I think also the big thing for a lot of writers, or maybe not even a lot of writers, but definitely for me, is like experimenting with new forms and trying new forms and um, going through that process of figuring out what, you know, a poem will look like for you or a piece of prose will look like for you and it's going to take different shapes it's going to come in different sizes every time but that at least for me in in literary terms seems to be where bravery feeds in i I don't know
1: yeah there's also like a foolish bravery in pursuing poetry when climate change is destroying the planet (laughs) i will spend my time writing these poems
0: yeah i think about this a lot like the practicality of writing and like what the heck my poems will do for anybody. I don't know. I I just feel like there are people who have, like, very practical professions that... um you know, are, are directly confronting significant issues in the world. And it's not to say that poetry can't do that job of confronting a significant issue or changing a significant issue, but I feel like it's not one of those tangible skills that they preach to you when you're applying to universities uh, in, in the same way. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's where the bravery comes in, is, is being brave enough to walk down that path away from the tangibility of... Um, or the tangible, rather, and and you know, do your own thing. I don't. I don't really know. Um, listen, I I did want to ask you another question too, because you mentioned a little bit um, about writers that you were reading during your MFA. I'm wondering who you are reading now.
1: Uh, right now, I say as I glance over at my shelf. Um, I honestly haven't been reading a ton of poetry. Um, since like the book launch season, when all the books came out, I kind of went hard into uh, fiction. So I just finished a super long book called The Overstory by Richard Powers. And it's about kind of this very topic, um, environmental crisis, but mostly trees and how they talk to humans.
0: (laughs) Oh, wild. It's
1: it's a little bit... it kind of fuses, um, certain headlines that have been in the news, like, um, that book, the secret life of trees. I think it's Mm -hmm. taking inspiration from that book. Um, and essentially the novel is about the ways in which trees emit signals to bring a group of environmental, uh, protests, protesters turned terrorists together, (laughs) but it's like an epic book. It's like 800 words. And I, I, Really, really enjoyed it. So, I would really recommend The Overstory.
0: Oh, that sounds really creative. Um, has reading this influenced your writing at all since you started reading it, or if, if you've been writing since you read it?
1: um It's mostly made me <laughs> feel worse about my own writing. You know, when you read a book and it's just so amazing, and you're like, wow, why didn't I think to write this or something? So, it, yeah, so I guess it's inspiring me in that sense. Um, but no, I haven't written any. I guess I wrote a poem. Ah, that's a lie. I would just finished a poem called Tree
0: Pose. <laughs> yeah, it sounds, uh, it sounds pretty literal there. Um, it, but it sounds also like you're, you're touching on something that has come up before on the podcast and, and that I think a lot of people have kind of expressed to me, uh, whether it's on here or otherwise. And that's a kind of literary jealousy in terms of uh, not necessarily even in a bad way, but just falling so in love with the work that you're reading that you wish that you'd wrote it. And actually, whose question was it? I believe Hannah McCready? No, it was Aiden. Aiden Chafe uh, asked in episode four, what is the one work that you wish you'd written? Um, and I think that so many people have so many different answers for that. It's, it still seems, whether you're emerging or established as a writer, um, to be a question that plagues sort of everybody. So how do you deal with this? Or do you deal with this um, with with your writing practice?
1: Um... I don't know. I think when I read, I read a lot of, I read pretty much obsessively. So I get super excited when I read um, an amazing work, um, such as The Overstory. I'm not sure, I guess, yeah, I guess I agree with you that I try to have that enthusiasm for my own poem. So I can be pretty hard on myself um, when I'm revising and I think a line is just like super boring, like there's no movement or it's not doing anything exciting. I guess I kind of have a rule that if I'm boring myself, then I'm probably going to bore the reader. Um, (laughs) So that's kind of like a loose rule that I apply when revising my work. So maybe in some sense that answered your question. No,
0: you know what? It totally does. And I think it's actually really good advice because I find myself, and I don't know if, if this is something that other people have experienced, but I find myself always struggling with the idea of not finishing a poem, meaning in a first draft, I have to sit there until I feel like I've got some sort of completed product. And even if I know the poem isn't going anywhere halfway through it, I feel the need to actually finish the piece. And I don't know which camp, you know, you would identify as being in, but I think there's something to the to the idea that you've just shared, because it fascinates me that um, so frequently I'm not excited by my own writing. Like, probably four out of five. No, it's got to be more than four out of five. Like, so often I will finish a poem and know that it will not see anything further uh than a recycling bin and that's just the reality of it i don't know if that's the same for everybody but i i definitely feel like the poems that i am very proud of are the ones that i'm the most excited about when i finish writing them i don't know does that does that stick for you at all
1: Mm -hmm. i think i fall in that camp as well like sometimes i'll find myself on like draft six of a poem that i realize it's never going to be published and I you know I'm probably never going to send it out it'll never be in a book but I just have to kind of complete it in some way at least in my brain
0: right and I'm of two minds as well because I totally believe in the fact that I can write a horrible poem but it can have one outstanding line and you never know when completing that exercise of going through a poem that you know isn't going to go anywhere will give you a line that a couple months later you find fits perfectly in another piece. So it sometimes does have value there as well. Um, I do want to, this is my first remote recording, so this is the first time that you and I aren't crammed into a tiny room together uh, with two microphones doing our thing at a library. So Uh, normally I've been bringing people books from dollar bins, thrift stores, um, some people have, like, given me books to give to writers, which is very kind, thank you everybody who's given me donations so far, I've got a nice stack at home now and I don't need to shop for a while, um, but you're across the country, and so what I've got is the Poetry & Voice Random Poem Generator, this is a free resource you can access online, and, uh, it's super simple, just Google it, easy to find uh cassidy would you be willing to read us a poem at random today sure
1: i'll do my best <laughs> um okay so <laughs> the poem is by gary snyder and it's called riprap <laughs> cool. okay riprap lay down these words before your mind like rocks placed solid by hands, in choice of place, set before the body of the mind, in space and time, solidity of bark, leaf, or wall, riprap of things, cobble of the Milky Way, straying planets, these poems, people, lost ponies with dragging saddles, and rocky surefoot trails, the world the world's like an endless four-dimensional game of go ants and pebbles in the thin loam each rock a word a creek washed stone granite ingrained with torment of fire and weight crystal and sediment linked hot all change in thoughts as well as things
0: oh so cool uh thank you so much for reading that gassy what a cool poem
1: yeah, I really enjoyed that.
0: Yeah, some kind of cool, actually, thematic links to your poems and your work as well. Um, was there a line in there that stood out to you at all?
1: Um, I like the solidity of bark, leaf, or wall, riprath of things. I guess the the title image because we were talking about trees. Um, and then the end, I thought, was really cool as well. I admire poets who invoke like the torment of fire, like these abstract terms, but are able to use them. Um, I find that really brave <laughs> as well in a poem, like words like soul or fire or, you know, these type of elemental words.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like when we're talking about the elemental or anything that's like a greater concept too, it's really tough to ground those ideas in in solid images. And this poem seems to do that very well for me, like the the ants and the leaves and just the minute sort of imagery um being representative of the major um kind of overarching themes and overwhelmingly large elements um very cool just just well really well done it was it was neat
1: good job poetry and voice random poem
0: yes and speaking of fantastic poetry uh your book is full of it Ooh, look at that segue um i The name is Drolleries. If anybody doesn't know, this is a book that you should know about by now. Uh, It's really, really great. And um, it came out a little bit ago. So, Cassidy, what has been happening? What have you been up to since the book came out?
1: Since publishing the book, I have been I've been trying to write fiction. (laughs) I'm trying, but it's I don't know for a poet. It's at least for me. It's very difficult. I find it very challenging. Um, But I was really excited to get my first short fiction piece published in Prism International, so that was really exciting.
0: Oh my goodness, yes, I saw that. That was um, really recent, wasn't it? Yeah,
1: Yeah. it just came out, so I'm really excited about that and I'm trying to like follow it up so I'm not like a one-hit wonder.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I could could see that. (laughs) I hope hope that's not the case for sure. I remember we were talking in the first episode, I was talking to Shazia Hafiz Ramji, and she had mentioned, uh, and this sticks with me because it blew my mind, that she writes poems as she's doing the the novel thing now, and she's, she's trying to write a novel, or not trying, she's actually, she's in the process. She's doing great at writing a novel. Shout out, Shazia. Um, but her process involves writing poems and then converting those poems into prose and that translation process. And I'm just wondering, how does somebody who's, so used to writing poetry, like yourself, approach the process of creating prose. Is it different at all?
1: Mm, uh, I do have, I do. Sometimes I um, compile material like when I'm out in the world, and I won't know for sure if it should be a poem or fiction. So I, I think a lot of my like failed poems because they were too wordy or too talky. I think those end <laughs> up going in the folder for like fiction. I'm like, well, I can just turn into prose um later on but i know they're they're very different things i find that i can't do both at the same time so that's interesting that she moves from one to the other i feel like i need a few weeks to put me in a headspace that's that allows for the shift in genre
0: what about content wise though is there is there a big difference between your poetry and your prose in terms of like thematically are you talking about different themes ideas motifs like what what's the difference there
1: I don't know. I guess I'm not sure yet. Um, I do write a lot about like relationships in my fiction and I guess those come up as well in my poetry. So right now I think it's more of a, a continuation maybe of some of my interests. Um, I think my fiction is less um, experimental formally, not that my poetry is super experimental, but um, I think I'm focusing right now just on like kind of moving the characters from one from destination a to destination b right now i just find that challenging in itself like how do you even move a character or you know shift environments in fiction
0: no i totally feel that because i haven't actually written prose in years so i feel like i wouldn't be able to return to it um or i guess arrive at it because i haven't really been there um it would be so difficult for me to 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 think of writing in a different way right now when I'm still trying to figure out what poetry even looks like for me. So for somebody like yourself who's been doing it for quite a while, I feel like it would be even harder to make that switch over because you're so used to writing in a specific way. So kudos for, for being brave enough to jump over to a new uh, a new style there. That's, that's really tough. Um, I know I've already asked you a question from our last episode's guest, but I do need to ask, do you have a question for our next episode's guests?
1: Oh boy. Um, okay, so I was hanging with a friend recently and she told me she might be considering quitting writing and i've heard this from a few other friends so i guess my question is have you ever considered quitting poetry
0: Oof, that is a good question uh the mean thing i do now is turn it back around on the person who asks the question so cassidy have you ever considered quitting poetry or writing
1: no i haven't that's why i want to know that's why i'm asking this next future person um no, I, I haven't considered it yet, so I guess I'm wondering under what circumstances might you?
0: What about, like, what would it take for you to stop writing?
1: I think if I found something that gave me as much fulfillment in my life, like if I all of a sudden, maybe I got, like, hit on the head, and then all of a sudden I'm, like, really into painting or
0: something, or... Oh, man, so we're talking, like, a full-on chemical shift then?
1: Perhaps. I think I read articles about a similar similar circumstances but it it might take something like that
0: i mean writing is a very fulfilling act right for a lot of people so it would take a lot for most of us who are are trying to write or do write frequently to stop doing it um but what i guess this is a difficult question to answer but i'm gonna ask it anyway because that's my job as an interviewer um what actually drives you to write
1: (laughs) maybe like a lack of (laughs) A yearning, a lack of anything else in my life, I guess I should maybe I want to revise my answer. I think for a lot of people, obviously, the financial constraints are the big one of why you would have to look at other things or you might not have time anymore. So I think for a lot of people that maybe have children as well, or need to work numerous jobs, it can be really challenging. So Maybe I'm really naive and like future, maybe if few like 10 years from now, if I have children or something, I'll like laugh at myself that I ever thought it was possible to write as well.
0: Yeah, to be fair, it's difficult in terms of, like, writing is such a time-consuming act, at least, I think, and that doesn't even entail, like, I feel like a lot of people, I certainly consider myself one of them, uh, have trouble turning off the writing side of their life, and so I'm always thinking about writing, and I'm always thinking about poetry, and how the things that are happening to me might turn into a poem, or in fact, the way that I think about poems that already exist, and so I think, like, is it hard to stop like do you are you able to turn it off when you when you are not actually sitting down with a pen in hand
1: i definitely take breaks but i get like pretty depressed when i'm not writing like i get really down and yeah so clearly i need something like to fulfill something fulfilling in my life if not writing then maybe something similarly creative
0: yeah and i don't think you're alone at all in that i think there's a lot of people who are writing as an outlet i think that's one of its biggest functions right is that regardless of anybody's actually reading this stuff it's all about kind of putting out or or getting out emotions i think for a lot of people and writing through trauma and things like that uh that it can be so valuable um like i think i could stop publishing but i don't think i could stop writing and there's there's a divide there for me
1: That's a really good divide. I didn't think about that. I know I actually do have a lot of friends that write just for themselves and they've quit kind of pursuing publication. And I find that maybe to be the bravest of all, if we go back to the opening.
0: And I find it's like such a, like, there's a real pressure that I put on myself to publish things that I think like a lot of people also put on themselves maybe that seems external like and I think a lot of it for me has come from since I started uh, up a Twitter account and just got on Twitter and followed writers and stuff because I think the biggest thing is that like when you go on there it's easy to like it does two things for me It, it one inspires me to kind of get my work out there and 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 really be writing at a rate that allows me to publish frequently But then at the same time it also creates a sense of jealousy really easily about you know you see other people doing so well and on one hand you're really happy for your friends that are publishing things and are succeeding in in the writing world but at the same time it can be very much so a source of jealousy i don't know so i feel conflicted about it sometimes right
1: yeah or even just like the pressure to publish early and maybe you know i've definitely published poems that were nowhere Um, near kind of ready to be published. There's like maybe 20, 25 poems that were published that I cut from drolleries. So even the stuff that is published, you know, maybe it's not up to my standards. Um, So I think this, yeah, there's so many journals that are popping up. I don't know. I think the access to community is super important and really incredible. But I think when that kind of puts pressure on you to have you know 25 um submitable things out at all times then it can be (laughs) it can be a little toxic maybe
0: yeah and you're not the first person to express that i think there's a lot of people who would agree with the fact that just because a poem gets published doesn't mean it's your best work and i know i find myself right now going through like manuscript submissions and so on where i'm compiling poems that have been published and i'm editing the hell out of some of these poems so I don't know this must be something that you go through as well i I feel like everybody goes through this where no matter what stage in your career you're at and and whether or not you consider it a career even um everybody's poems can always be improved there's there's nothing untouchable
1: yeah i think there's like an instant gratification from like yay i'm having a poem published that can be really like addicting because it's like a validation obviously which you want but I don't know, I would like to be able to validate myself without needing kind of external, externally, being externally approved.
0: Yeah, and that's where that abstaining from publication is really valuable to me is like, I think there are so many people who do seek that publication credit. Um, Just the feeling of having a piece published is outstanding. But... There's also something so great in being able to take pride in your work genuinely, whether that comes from a publication standpoint or from yourself. And I think if you can have that stem from yourself, it's it's often very useful. I don't know. But that, that abstaining from poetry, I think there's something to it or abstaining from publication, rather. I think there has to be something to it, right?
1: We've talked ourselves into quitting poetry.
0: (laughs) Please don't. Oh my goodness. I sincerely hope that's not the overarching theme of today's episode. Um, Please don't quit poetry if you're already doing it, guys. Uh, There's valuable stuff there. Um, Cassidy, we are approaching the end of what I keep to be very short interviews lately. Um, But before I let you go, could we get one more reading from you?
1: Sure. Yeah, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. Um, well, maybe because we were talking about trees, I can read the poem called To Find a Ghost Forest. Search first for trace- traces of charcoal blackening the pathway. Trees felled for fuel where livestock once grazed. Unearthed clues obscured in old maps and estate records. Specters of shadow woods archived in the king's doomsday. The phantoms cling to honeysuckle, holly, common cow wheat, haunting hacked off limbs of coppice trees. Bluebells mark woodland turned to to pasture, a ring of hanging heads announcing the forest's neat graves. Practical advice to end on.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much, Cassidy. Uh, is there anything before we let you go that you, if people have enjoyed your readings today, you could send them to to look for more of your work?
1: Um, I have nothing really coming up. Um, you can Google me, I guess, and there might be poems here or there.
0: Well, please do certainly look Cassidy up. You can also see, she mentioned there's uh, some prose of hers in Prism International, that's pretty fresh as well, so definitely check that out, I'll make sure to retweet that on our podcast page. And uh, if you get the chance to see Cassidy read too, she's a tremendous reader of her own poems, which checks out, but trust me, it's really good stuff. Um, I saw you read at, I believe, the Real Vancouver Writers series, Um, were you there?
1: Yes, I was, that was so much fun.
0: Okay, that's where I saw you then, yeah, everybody reading that night was so good, and that series puts on great shows every time so worth checking out if you're in vancouver the real vancouver writers series um guys that's about it with cassidy uh cassidy thank you so much for your time and coming out the book is drawleries it's definitely worth the read as you can tell um go check it out thanks again cassidy thank you what a fun time chatting with Cassidy McFadson. she's an incredible writer obviously and I'm very very fond of her work her first book is Hacker Packer the second book is Drawleries and both really great texts I've been revisiting them since we recorded the interview and lots of fun um so yeah thanks again to Cassidy for coming out I really appreciate it or not coming out but just chatting with me over Skype it was good it was fun uh, I really appreciated that Um, I just wanted to say before I let everybody go that if you like what I'm doing here on Page Fright then we can make it official. All you have to do is subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and you'll get this downloaded right away on your phone or computer, um, however you want to take it we will send it to you. Um, Page Fright is coming out usually every two weeks or so now. Trying to keep that going. And yeah, we've got some really good authors coming up. Actually, already recorded a couple of the interviews and they're going to be a lot of fun. So definitely worth staying tuned for. Um, And we are branching out beyond Vancouver to talk to other writers. So if you are a writer or you know writers who are across Canada or the US who want to chat or really at this point anywhere in the world, we can set it up and we can have them on the pod and I'm more than willing to do it. Uh, anytime so again feel free to subscribe recommend some people to come on the pod and that's about it for page fright this time my name is andrew french i write under aw french and i'm on twitter at the andrew french this has been page fright